You may be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine you're at a restaurant. Not a fancy one, either. I'm talking a Denny's. Maybe like a a Waffle House, or something along those lines. A, A real place that you don't plan to go to, but you end up at. So you've ended up at Denny's. You're here, you're sitting down, you're ready to order, and your waiter comes up. And with surprise, you look up to see the President of the United States is there with a notepad and a pen ready to take your order. That's absurd. That's, that's ridiculous. The President waiting tables at a Denny's? What is this? This is not what the President does. He shouldn't be here doing this. This is far below his station. Well now, take that absurdity and multiply it. Ten times, a hundred times, even a thousand times. And now you start to understand the sheer absurdity of what Jesus does in our gospel text today. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now remember who Jesus is. Remember the transfiguration. This is God in the flesh. This is the Lord of all, the one who created the disciples, who at the beginning of all things created the world with but a word. He rules and reigns over everything as God. And even in his earthly life, he has demonstrated this authority. He's calmed the wind and the waves. He's demonstrated authority over sicknesses, diseases, and demons, even over life and death itself. Jesus is the single most important person in all of history. He's more important than kings and rulers and presidents. He is God Most High. And God Most High is washing the disciples' feet. He's bent down low before them, kneeling on the floor to scrub at their dirty, nasty, stinky feet. Now this means even more than we might initially think. In our society, if your feet are being washed, you're probably the one washing them in the shower. Other people don't generally wash our feet. But in Jesus' day, foot washing was much more common. For one thing, everyone was wearing sandals, and if you've seen the pictures or been there, uh, I hear Israel's pretty dusty. So even on a short walk, your feet would get covered in the dust of the road, even if you had taken a bath right before you left. So if you were a guest at someone's house, your feet would be washed, usually right before dinner. Now, feet are still considered one of the more unclean parts of the body. They still stank as much or more in Jesus' day as they do today. So the person that washed your feet wouldn't be the host. It wouldn't even be the chief of the servants. That was a task far below him. It would be the lowliest of the servants who would wash the feet of the guest. And so here, 
We have Jesus doing the work of the lowliest servant, though he is God most high. Completely absurd. Far beyond the president waiting tables at a Denny's. But this is exactly the kind of work that Jesus has come to do. Now, when, he, when Jesus first starts washing the disciples' feet, Peter is shocked. He's shocked when Jesus takes off his outer garments. He's shocked when Jesus lays that aside and goes and gets the water basin. He's shocked when Jesus actually kneels down before the other disciples and begins to scrub and dry their dirty feet. He's appalled that the disciples are even letting this happen to them. Don't they know who Jesus is? Peter's confessed that Jesus is the Christ of God, the promised one. And even beyond that, if Jesus wasn't God, he's still their teacher. And it'd be completely unheard of for a teacher to get down and scrub his students' feet. And Jesus is far, far more than just a teacher. Well, Peter's turn comes up. Jesus gets to him, and by this point, Peter is fuming. He is incensed. And he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter says, really? Jesus, what are you doing? You're the Son of God. You're going to bow down before me, and you're telling me you're going to wash my feet like a lowly slave? Are you serious? That's ridiculous. But Jesus insists. He says, What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Now Jesus is saying two things here. On the one hand, once Jesus is done washing Peter's feet, Peter will better understand what Jesus has done. But on the other hand, tonight is a night of foreshadowing. Because right now, Jesus is, in kneeling before Peter, he is humiliating himself. He's stripped of his robe, and he's doing a menial task. But this is a small humiliation compared with what's to come on the very next day. Because Jesus will be stripped not just of his outer garment, but completely. He will be whipped and scourged like a criminal, someone even lower than the lowliest slave. And at the end of it all, he will be crucified. But Peter, Peter won't even let Jesus have this small humiliation. He says, You shall never wash my feet. Peter means well, but he misses the mark here. He's coming from a place of love and respect for Jesus. He knows who Jesus is, and he doesn't want to see Jesus humiliated and, and stripped of his robe. He wants to see him glorified and honored. And so with the best of intentions, Peter tells Jesus never to wash his feet, but Peter doesn't understand what it is he's saying. So Jesus answers him, 
If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus isn't hearing any of this from Peter. Because Jesus knows exactly why he came to earth. He knows exactly what he came to do. Jesus came to serve. He came to wash away sin. Jesus came to earth so that he could be humiliated. Tonight he bows low before his disciples, but soon he will go even lower, because this is a night of foreshadowing. But Peter, on hearing that Jesus said that he would have no share with him, immediately is, is worried. He wants to have a share with Jesus, so he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But this isn't quite the right response either. Peter has overcorrected in the other direction. And so Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you all are clean, but not every one of you. Peter doesn't need to be completely rewashed, just his feet need to be cleaned. Now, in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, there's a great picture of the Christian life. All this talk of washing is a good analogy. For in baptism, Jesus washes you completely, body and soul. You are made clean before God. But sin is still a reality in this world. It's like you're walking a dusty road with sandaled feet. Dirty sin collects on you. Now that sin doesn't mean you've lost your salvation and you somehow need to go back to the font to be baptized again. It doesn't mean that your whole head and hands and heart need to be washed again. But it does mean your feet need to be washed, so to speak. That sin must be repented of. And that is why you confess your sins each and every week. And each and every week, God forgives you of those sins through the lips of Pastor Judd. Now, I want to be perfectly clear here. This isn't some extra sacrament that Jesus is making here. Washing of feet does not forgive you your sins. Rather, it's a good picture to think about how we as Christians do not need to be rewashed in total, but only our feet need to be cleansed. Only those sins need to be repented of. Now back in the Gospel text, Jesus has finished washing the disciples' feet. And now it comes time to face what is ahead of him. For Jesus did say, And you all are clean, but not every one of you. Because Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew that there was a disciple there whose hands, head, and very heart were already filthy. For the devil had already entered him. And soon, Jesus would say to Judas Iscariot, What you are going to do, do quickly. And Judas would leave. 
He would go out into the dusty road. With filthy head and heart, he would soon dirty his hands with money for blood. Because this is a night of foreshadowing. Judas, the unclean disciple, would betray Jesus. But what Judas meant for evil, what he meant for selfish gain, God worked for good. For your good. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But Jesus sent Judas on his way. Jesus knew exactly what was coming, that this night was a mere shadow of what he was going to face. But just as he willingly lowered himself to wash the disciples' feet, he would soon lower himself to face what is to come. Because Jesus doesn't just know that he comes to suffer. He also knows why. He knows exactly why he will die on that cross, and that's for you. Each and every one of you, whom Jesus loves, out of pure love for you, Good Friday will come. As we read in John's Gospel, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved you to the end. For you are Christ's own who are in the world. He loved you all the way to his end on Mount Calvary. This is a night of foreshadowing, and the day of our Lord will dawn soon. The day of his suffering, the day of his death, the day where he shows you in clear, uncertain, clear and certain terms just how much it is that he loves you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds steadfast in Christ Jesus and the one true faith. Amen.